Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So, let us begin. Grogu. <laughs> so, we start the episode off where Din and Grogu are playing catch. Uh, and uh, Grogu's a little confused as to why uh, Din's trying to get rid of him during their kind of game of catch. Uh, Din makes some large exclamations and then kind of has to talk himself into like, oh, this is why I'm doing this, and we're going to get you a Jedi Master, and it's all going to be okay. But it's very clear he's he's talking himself into why they'll have to one day separate. Uh, they get to Tython, uh, and uh, they have to make their way up to the mountain, so they jetpack up to the top. Uh, and when they get to the top, Din puts Grogu on the seeing stone, tries to look for some form of switch to turn it on. Uh, he's not really sure. He's kind of confused. And then he notices something off to the side. And, oh, no, it's the Slave One. But when he turns around, Grogu has erected a force field that beams up from the seeing stone to the sky, and he is in meditative trance. Right, so Mando at the very least recognizes this ship as bad news, and he wants to get the hell out of there, but he cannot break Grogu's concentration. He tries a couple of times, in fact, in this episode, to reach through the force field that's enveloped Grogu, and it's just not, it just keeps knocking him backward. And so what he does is he goes down the hill and meets face-to-face with the pilot of the Slave One, who, by the way, as we all predicted at this point, is a pretty tough-looking older Boba Fett. And the first thing Boba Fett says is, look, I've come for my armor. Not your armor, tough guy. I want my armor, my father's armor, which you got from Cobb Banth back on Tatooine. Um, Mando basically says, well, I could just drop you right now. Why should I be afraid of you? He says, because I got a sharpshooter up the hill, and she's pointing at your kid. And it's uh, Fennec Shand, who we know from the first season, who, as it turns out, has survived. These, uh, This little group is going to have some kind of a diplomatic, if kind of tense, exchange when their concentration is broken by the incoming of a whole ship full of stormtroopers, classic troopers. Yes, yeah, so uh, he doesn't really trust Boba's heritage, but they have to team up anyway. Uh, Boba kills a bunch of them with his gaffy stick, and Fennec is proving her quality as a sharpshooter. Uh, Din goes to rescue uh, Grogu, but uh, as he tries to force his way through the force field, gets completely knocked out. So it's up to Boba and Fennec, and they're doing some serious, serious damage. Another transport arrives, though, and it's not looking as great. Um, so as things are going, Boba just so happens to notice, wait a minute, the Razor Crest has got its door open, and I think I see something I recognize inside. <laughs> Din is now awakened back up, and he's helping Fennec uh, kind of defend their turf. It's not going great, but Din's taken a lot of the shots because of the Beskar, thankfully, while Grogu has just kind of finished his meditation. Din doesn't quite realize this. Uh, and then Boba swoops in and then helps them take out the remainder. And so the stormtroopers are on their heels. Boba Fett shows why he is the truest badass of them all uh, and then scares them away as they get into the transports and then head off. And then Boba takes one final missile shot to take them both out as they crash into each other in space, uh, crashing down. And then all the stormtroopers um, are taken out and everything looks dandy. It sure looks dandy. And, and in fact, at this point, um, the force field, uh, the concentration of Grogu up on the seeing stone has stopped and he passes out as he always does after like a really intense expulsion of force power. And it seems like they're probably going to be able to get away, except then in come 
the Dark Troopers, which are basically like Darth Vader meets Iron Man. And they swoop down and they cannot be stopped and they collect the child. And it really hurts your heart because there's nothing Mando can do except sit there and watch. Uh, and uh, if that didn't make matters bad enough, they also obliterate the Razor Crest. Everything he has is gone in a second, and it's real bad. Helpfully, um, he decides to maybe have a positive relationship with Boba Fett, who reveals something interesting about his family history. Yeah, so Boba Fett uh, shows Din after Din is collected from the rubble. Uh, Boba tried to go after Grogu and the Dark Troopers, but realized, no, the Empire's back and uh, we're outnumbered here and they're uh, go off into hyperspace. Uh, but Din collects uh, his Beskar spear uh, and Grogu's favorite toy, the little gear shift ball. Uh, and so while he's kind of holding those and reminiscing, Boba says um, that uh, his father um, was a Mandalorian foundling. Uh, and then Din agrees that the armor is indeed his. Uh, Boba feels that he has not kept up his end of the bargain, though, and that because Grogu is not safe, he and Fennec will work with him to find and get the child to safety. Uh, and then thus they depart for Navarro in the Slave One, the three of them, where Din goes to recruit Cara Dune uh, to help break out Migs Mayfeld from prison as he's an ex-Imperial and can help them find Moff Gideon. Up on Moff Gideon's ship, uh, he wants to go check out what they've got, which of course is his donor. It's uh, Grogu, who is just handling two stormtroopers in his cell with his force powers. It tires him out, but then uh, Gideon kind of gets a kick out of it because he's a, a masochist. And so he uh, he whips out the Darksaber just to show he still has it, kind of says some taunty, creepy things to Grogu, and then stuns him a la Leia in A New Hope, and the episode ends. Now, there's a lot of big reveals in this episode. I, I'm trying to figure out what is the big twist. Did, is, did we know on any level that there is, in fact, Mandalorian heritage in the Fett family, or is that a big change of, of, the, of the canon existing? Okay, well, let's dive into the, the biggest, uh, meatiest sandwich of it all. And Why that not? would be the Fets. Yeah. Uh, this is such a long-held argument. So because Boba Fett is kind of lame but looks really cool in the original trilogy... He was, of course, one of the first characters to get some serious treatment in Legends. So in the 80s and 90s, prior to the prequels, Boba Fett was in a ton of Legends stories. Uh, and as they expanded the character of Boba Fett, Boba Fett was portrayed as the Dread Pirate Roberts, to make a nice uh, kind of characterization for you. And that it was a moniker held by the most feared bounty hunters in the galaxy. Oh, wow. And that the and that the Boba Fett we knew was actually uh, a guy named Jaster Mareel. And now Jaster Mareel uh, was the Boba Fett in, in, in Legends up until George Lucas decided to introduce who Jango Fett was uh, and then say that Boba Fett is a clone uh, of Jango Fett and that his name is Boba Fett and then throw all that out uh, in, into the into the weeds now what they change here is the fact that uh beyond that point they people viewed the jaster mareel stories as okay how can we kind of integrate these things he is a mentor to Django fett um and the way that they kind of kind of moved some things around you could have jaster and Django; they had worked together um but then 
everything got confused once again. So they had these weird Jaster stories that didn't make sense. And this is when Legends was getting incredibly complicated and things were contradicted all the time. Uh, and so that's why like people were like trying to like headcanon and make sense of these stories. And then comes uh, the Clone Wars television show, uh, where in season two, the Prime Minister of Mandalore specifically says to Obi-Wan, who's talking about his uh, recent experiences with the Mandalorian Jango Fett, Prime Minister Almec says, oh, Jango Fett is no Mandalorian. He is just some ruthless bounty hunter. I don't know where he got his armor. He is no Mandalorian. Oh. But then four seasons or three seasons later, we also find out that Prime Minister Almec is incredibly corrupt and also like he's he's a big time elitist and interestingly enough uh mandalorians are portrayed in the clone wars as being very nordic they are generally blonde for the most part uh and so an interesting choice with uh tamora morrison being maori not blonde at all um being completely dissimilar to the way that they're portrayed um in the masses uh and pedro pascal uh, as a foundling, not meant to be. And so like, it, it didn't really make sense, yeah. but good logic could say, oh, well, maybe Django Fett was a foundling. Maybe that's how it works. And then this confirms that. And so that's how it goes to show that indeed, Prime Minister Almec was just being like an elitist. He was essentially being like- A racist. Aryan ra yeah. He, was, yeah, he was being a racist. He was, wow. he was saying these are, from, these are lesser, um, whether it's um, from uh, not from the specific area of Mandalore, uh, not being Mandalorian blood. Uh, it, it's very much it was just from his point of view. Uh, and then ultimately, that's where a lot of this misinterpretation goes. And George Lucas loves that sort of stuff. And so I'm sure when Dave Filoni showed him or told him this is how it was going to work or whenever George realized that George would be kind of OK with it, because even in the behind the scenes, they uh, for the Clone Wars, Dave kind of said that they kind of wanted to be shit disturbers and that they weren't really like George wasn't thrilled with the idea of Jango Fett being a Mandalorian because it, it didn't align with the way he wanted to tell the rest of the Mandalorian stories, but they didn't want to necessarily reveal too much. And they wanted to have it so that it was a bit more of a journeyman that Boba Fett was at. And so there was also some contradiction as, is that the same armor? Because some of the armor was blown up in the Clone Wars TV show. Clearly, it's reforged in a certain way here as well. And so it really pieces together uh, legends uh, and canon quite nicely uh, and ties it up in, into a nice bow that uh, there was Jaster Mareel, who had a foundling adopted son, Jango Fett. Jango Fett uh, partook in the Mandalorian Civil Wars, uh, and Jango Fett built up a huge reputation for himself, and he um, exponentially increased that by being the face of the Clone Wars uh, and then having a son who could carry on his legacy as um, the most fearsome bounty hunter in the galaxy as well. That's amazing. It, I had no idea it was such a serviceable uh, bit of storytelling that we experienced. I just kind of figured that it was some retconning because as as an average fan, or I like to think of myself as just like a few points above the, the, the layman when it comes to Star Wars fans, um, most of us didn't even know what the word Mandalorian was until mm. the last few years. And I know it's existed canonically for literally decades, but even to a lot of those people, uh, the word Mandalorian was associated with the armor that Boba Fett wore. And it wasn't even necessarily clear that he wasn't one 
or even necessarily what Mandalore was, what Mandalorian meant when it was describing something. And I understand that like a lot of distance has been covered in the explaining of what those words are and what, what they mean culturally to the greater Star Wars universe through extended canon, whether it's through Legends uh, books or or canonically through animated TV series and and what Dave Filoni has contributed honestly has been enormously Mandalore focused between absolutely the the animated shows and and this it is quite interesting to me how because we've talked a lot about um, how Boba Fett is just a character that people wanted more from that he was not necessarily designed in in his genesis to have as much. Um, reach and legacy as he has turned out to have and and now he has spawned some of the most interesting storytelling in all of star wars albeit through another character who is similar to him in essence um but it's so cool to me that we've been able to bring it back around and and make everything make sense and give the people what they want which is ultimately a boba fett that is as badass as we always knew he could be now it took decades for that to happen but I mean, was this guy not the friggin' coolest? And, and like, we weren't sure exactly how Robert Rodriguez was going to direct something, but this is like, it, it is so violent when he is beating people up with a Tuscan staff and there's like Gabby little stick, yeah. plastic shards coming off stormtrooper helmets. And then, uh, talk about uh, Boba Fett twists. In the end, he's kind of a good guy. He has a, he has a moral code. He, he does, and that's interesting, and there's some contradiction with that as well. And interestingly, Tamara Morrison said in an interview, has, like, is he tired? Like, he was talking about Boba Fett. Like, what's he been through? Is he tired? Is he, like, tired of all the killing? And so it was interesting to hear him say that, and he specifically says, uh, he's got a good line. Um, let me find it in here. Let's all put down our weapons. Have a chat. Right. There's no need for bloodshed. And so, like, that's not very Boba Fett. Let's have a chat. There's no need for bloodshed. Things have happened to him these last five years. Uh, Interestingly, Fennec and him working together, uh, one of the big story arcs and legends around uh, Jango Fett and the Jango Fett video game, uh, the Bounty Hunter one, was that Zam Wessel, who is his partner, who he kills. Yeah. And so uh, he kills her in Attack of the Clones, but... She he hired her for the job, and so in Legends and in like that video game, like they are like partners on everything. They are like best friends. They work together on everything. They like have a they, they have a very strong code with one another, uh, and clearly Fennec is filling that role for Boba Fett now, and so that's kind of cool that it's like this his um, assassin sniper partner on the team, and he's got someone who he can kind of go, and they just like they do a two person kind of tag teaming approach and so it's good that boba has got kind of his person um to have there as well now i know that he he, and he says in particular in this episode he has no allegiance to anyone and that's how he kind of dances around not being like a sworn in creed member of the mandalorians um but he's not somebody without his his own personal grudges that's very evident just in the fact that like he needs his armor because it's his father's armor. There clearly comes from some kind of like internal loyalty that that motivates him. Uh, inversely, he is going to take our Mandalorian Din maybe all the way to the Jedi. 
and he has a bad history with the Jedi. And so yes, he th does. things could get a little uh, hostile there. Yeah, it, it, it absolutely could. Um, it, it doesn't really... Like, we don't know what Jedi uh, is going to be encountered along that way. Uh, I, yes, he still holds a grudge for Mace Windu. That runs through for his entire storyline. And so, is, is he to be trusted at this point? I mean, he seems to be. I don't know. But we don't know. It, this is the, the Empire Strikes Back Mandalorian. This is part two. Well, I mean, there are almost um, is he no... going to fill the Lando role of someone we thought we could trust? But the Mandalorian, the series has a lot of Landos, doesn't it? It's like a lot of like likable characters who are maybe not all the way good. Like our Mandalorian is pretty, True. pretty all the way virtuous. Grogu, all the way virtuous. But other than that, everybody has had at least a moment where you could not trust them. I don't know. Grogu choked out Cara Dune. Yeah, that didn't bug me. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't bug me at all now. As long as, um, as long as you brought up Cara Dune, though, are we going to see Miggs Mayfeld? Are we going to see Bill Burr come back? Because if so, he deliberately lied in. Oh yeah, which is very possible. He is a gonna. He is a deliberate liar. I guess. I'm sure he felt no problem saying that whatsoever. Uh, and he also is I, on so many podcasts. It's just a contractual thing. You're going to get asked about this. Yeah, it's a contractual thing. You like, you're not allowed to say anything, and he's a professional. Yeah, I wasn't surprised at all. There was no way that they were just going to not bring him back. It didn't make any sense. I'm excited, actually. Although I, I really, really that. hope that Shion does not come back. That was the obnoxious Twi'lek. Right. Episode. Yeah, all of his crew. But there was no mention of that. It was really just about bringing back the famous guy who's charismatic. Yeah. Um, let's do a little trivia just in case. Uh, okay. Because there was, I already gave away one of mine, and I don't want to give any more away, potentially. I already gave away two, actually, accidentally, so I don't want to give any more away. Padawan question for you. How many suits of Mandalorian armor could you buy for the price on Grogu's head? Ten. Ten. That's right. Yeah. Probably not Din's armor, though. I think he has the best Mandalorian armor in the galaxy. He's got thick, uh, yeah. freshly... It's freshly minted, too. I mean, he like feels it's nothing. pressed... He feels nothing when he gets shot by stormtroopers. He just like... Yeah, I, I tried to count the number of times he was shot in this episode, and then I couldn't keep counting. And by the way, I know he, she kind of uses his him as a shield. It's still a little, a bit of a far cry that Fennec never gets shot in this shootout. Yeah, I agree. Well, my, my very reasonable... Um, you could still get this one. Uh, how many people does Fennec take out with the boulder she kicks down the hill? Oh, uh, I think... I'm guessing four. Yes, nice. There's like two guys on either side, one guy on either side of the bolt, and one guy gets completely nailed, like he's in the center of it, and then there's the gun guy, the the guy who, by the way, the guy like at the main cannon, he could have moved. To blow it up. Yeah. He easily could have. Uh, that's kind of on him, I think. Yeah, and just like, no, the E-Web's going to blow it up. Uh, Jedi Knight question, what Boba Fett quote was a direct reference to Jango Fett's dialogue in Attack of the Clones? Uh, the Boba quote would be, I'm just a simple... I'm a simple man making his way through the galaxy, whereas Django's would be, I'm just a simple man making my way through the universe. That's right. That's the, uh, And then Boba's is also a, a direct reference to uh, Luke Skywalker's I am a Jedi like my father before me. So it is a double whammy like my father before me. That's true. And um, simple man. That's right there. I didn't think about how there was also a uh, like my father before me. Uh, That's a great up. one. I absolutely loved it. 
I mean, there's there's lots of like meta reference in this episode. Like I mentioned, the the stunning of Grogu in the gel cell that was very clearly made to look like how they stun Leia. Which I don't know if we've seen that particular animation elsewhere in Star Wars, but uh, just the way he's like lying on the bench is it looks it, like Leia. It's yes, it's very much uh, like cell two one eight seven, and it's Leia all there, and it's it's almost like you could play Leia's theme. Yes. Uh, how many stormtroopers does Boba take out with the gaffy stick? I mean, I have no idea. Is it more than 10? No. Okay. Then. Just with the stick, though. Yeah. Uh, seven. Nine. <laughs> Nine. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. He he it's can insane. handle himself. And by the way, like, obviously, I like that Boba Fett is back in his armor for the sake of the story and, like, the closure. Um, a couple things. I don't want to body shame. He looks different in it. And also... I kind of think he's a punch. I think he's more badass in his robe and with his like scary head. <laughs> I don't know. He was pretty ridiculously badass. I don't know. I think I think the 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 pot belly works. Uh, he's also wearing a ridiculously heavy cloak. Oh yeah, uh, I'm not. I'm, so not, I'm not. Yeah, I know. If he's wearing a little less underneath, it's gonna look a a, a little better. Uh, but I thought it was just because it was so brooding and. Uh, the the need arts the need arts were so cool i know i know not for nothing but uh, we talked about this before this kind of like fakakta fan theory that maybe snoke's body is an animated corpse of of boba fett yeah not now i know but the scar on his but head the, is similar like he's got yeah, this the, like big gash in his in his dome that yeah it kind of i mean it tracks so to speak yeah, there's some serious Sarlacc uh, digestion burning on Boba, but uh, I guess that oh. that is what it is. Is it's just probably like monster stomach acid. Stomach acid. I, I hadn't thought yeah. about that before. Good, good kind of reference, by the way, to like a just just the the confusion again for the layman who maybe didn't realize that conceivably canonically Boba Fett probably survived the the Sarlacc in in Return of the Jedi. He basically just says, "Well, I was dead before too, but sometimes fate intervenes." And that was a good oh, enough response. It was The perfect. line is incredible. Yeah. She was left for dead on the sands of Tatooine, as was I, but fate sometimes steps in to rescue the wretched. Hell yeah. That's that's awesome. Yeah. That's that's some seriously poetic Boba Fett. <laughs> It's it's a really really good episode. Uh, do you have another trivia for me? Uh, yeah, do you, I have my master. Did you yep. have a master one? I do. I do have one. Um, your master question. Oh, is it my turn? Uh, well, it was, but uh, I, I mean, I can go. Um, okay. Where have we seen a version of the atmospheric assault landers before in Star Wars? And by the way, these ships—they uh, just look like DeLoreans to me, which is another thing that I love. Like they just look like spaceship DeLoreans. Well, the shape of them. The, the 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 troop landing transports yes i don't know I, I actually i'm pretty sure they've never been in anything they look cross first order they look like a like it's not like it's it looks more first order but it's yep you're 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 right in the right ballpark now, now this uh, master question is courtesy of imdb trivia but uh yeah they're uh their otherwise kind of version of them is seen in the opening scene of the force awakens when like they land on jakku yeah, they're not the same ones, I don't think, but they would be the precursing models. Yeah, but that's what I'm tr- that's what I'm saying. Is okay, they, yeah, they, gotcha. they are assault landers, according to okay, Wikipedia. Got, gotcha. They're, they're yeah. like that that class. Like they, yeah. it, it, we, and that is cool because it's it's clearly Empire uh, era stormtroopers, and we've been seeing so much Empire era. Whereas this is the transition point, so we should see some more 
uh, first order inspiration on things. And I think this is a nice subtle one. Well, uh, now it that also you... look, it reminds me of the Darth Maul scimitar from Phantom yeah. Menace. Yeah, that's right. Now that you mentioned that, uh, they very clearly, decisively, Boba Fett says it, um, the Empire is back. This isn't a spice dream. I'm looking at it. Um, yeah, that's a good line, too. It's awesome. Um, and we've seen that coming throughout uh, past episodes of The Mandalorian, the fact that though the Empire, you know, on paper died in Return of the Jedi, that clearly it's still alive in a big way, in a dangerous way. But there's no... So there's no mention of the Galactic Empire in the sequel trilogy. So are we going to see that transition uh, like to the First Order happen in this series run? Or or is no. the Empire, in fact, fading out? So the, the Empire uh, officially in the galaxy is considered dead at the Battle of Jakku. And it takes place four, three or four years after the Battle of Endor. And so... Oh. Things don't completely fully uh, fall when Palpatine and Vader um, die, but a lot of things do. And it only takes a couple of years before things are pretty much finished off. And so this is at that new kind of leading point where the Empire really is gone and it's just like the remnants. And so the First Order shouldn't be identified for another 15 or so years. Now, there will be some people who I'm sure will, uh, and like, but canonically, it's not. It's something that's identified years before the Force Awakens, but kind of as just like an extremist political group. Okay. But not like not that extreme. Just like like far wing in a certain way, but like very far winged and like it's. It gets to a certain point where they eventually start committing terrorism and then they blow up the capital of the galaxy uh, and of the new Republic. And then they, they are the regime that takes order and then they just, they, they come in and replace it. And Palpatine's ultimate plan is that it is a backdoor way to reintroduce the empire. Um, but we shouldn't, see, we should see, we should see the scattered remnants and the pieces that are going to reform to recreate the first order, but we shouldn't see the first order rise to prominence in this show without a time jump. I guess it also, uh, we can't know too much about this because there's a lot of mystery around, uh, the like administrative power of that Gideon has. We don't really know how big his, his shadow looms over the galaxy, presumably no pretty idea. big. Um, I don't think actually, okay. I think presumably very sectored. I shouldn't say that, but because this is a very, this is wild space. I guess it's kind of, he, it's a little bit unlimited for him as well. Right. And so it's, it's unlimited potential almost too, in the sense that his sector, it's, it's a great way for him to, to grow his reach. Um, my master question, uh, where was Django Fett born? Oh, shoot. Yeah, because they do allude to the history of Jango Fett. I guess I'm not going to get it then. No, you, you, you won't, but it's in the episode. Um, so when Boba pulls up his uh, chain code, mm -hmm. it's Orabesh, which is just the Star Wars basic alphabet. And so it's translatable. And so when I said Jaster Mareel earlier, that's another one of my Legends questions. And it's it, that was my other master question because that was canonized. So his... Um, chain code that when he show when it pulls up it says jaster um founder like if jaster foundling uh mentor Django fett father boba F like so it's it's a categorization of who has owned the armor and the reason as to why they transferred it to the next person that's great 
Yeah, and it shows uh, Django Fett born, Concord Don. And so, but Boba Fett doesn't have a birth next to his. It's just Django Fett's name and then Boba Fett's name's next to it, but there's no listed information about how, who Boba Fett is. Like son, no, none of that. Just like father, Django Fett. That's the only piece of biology he has. I wonder a little bit if Din would still be satisfied with that explanation if he knew that Boba wasn't technically Django's son, but some science experiment. Oh, I think very much so in, in the sense that Din's not technically anyone's son either. That's true. Din's, found, Din's a foundling. That's it's true. It's just in this case that Django had a kind of a specific father figure the same way that Din is Grogu's specific father figure. One other question I had about Boba or adjacent to Boba, and we already uh, touched on this and I skipped over it, but when he's explaining how he and Fennec survived or he just kind of like makes that comment about it, she like shows her abdomen to have like these new circuits installed like she's now partly mechanical stomach yeah so lungs she kind of suggests that boba took care of that for her is he some kind of like engineering genius too no that that they show that he that he's walking up to get her at the end of episode five right and so uh, i saw someone joke that um dr mandible oh yeah um Maybe it was Dr. Mandible who Maybe. did the surgery. Uh, <laughs> but if Dr. Evazan is still on Tatooine, uh, I don't know if he has died canonically. Uh, Dr. Evazan is the guy that um, gets in a fight with Luke and mm. Obi-Wan in the cantina. Um, he doesn't like you. Right. I don't like you either. Uh, I want to do 12 systems. Um, <laughs> I, I knew who you meant. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Evazan, uh, he specifically was wanted because he did... Uh, illegal surgeries. Right, okay. Yeah, I and did so know that. If we're on Tatooine and he's still on Tatooine, then it would logically make sense that Boba took him doc to uh, Tucker took her to Dr. Evazan. Does Mando recognize Slave One specifically or just he have a, a sense that maybe that's an enemy ship? He just doesn't like that there's somebody else here. There, it's He's in the middle of nowhere. There shouldn't be anybody parking right next to him. So I want to talk about, about Grogu, uh, but... Let me just wrap up what we were discussing about the Empire by by postulating, um, unless you can tell me otherwise, that one of the reasons they were able to show up and like pull out all the guns on our heroes is that it was, in fact, the Force-sensitive Moff Gideon who sensed Grogu on the Seeing Stone. Is that a possibility? No, they were tracking the Razor Crest. Oh, I guess we did know they were tracking, yeah. It happened so uh, fast. How, how, it did. Uh, however, I don't. I don't. I don't hate that theory because I don't think that I don't think it's outrageous to think that Moff Gideon could be force sensitive. Right. Um, and it definitely isn't outrageous that it could be a dark sider who feels that. Uh, that dark. That so, dark saber, by the way, is very odd looking. It doesn't look like a lightsaber. It's very different. Yeah, I watched an episode actually Rebels uh, in the past week um, with the dark saber, and it was interesting. Cause it was I noticed it was a lot shorter than other lightsabers as well. Oh, interesting. Uh, but uh, it's it's so cool. It's got such a cool sound too. What do we think about Grogu? Well, did did he know what he was doing? Did that just kind of come over him? Uh, he, he was connecting to the Force. He was re he was reaching out with the Force, and uh, that's what. Tython allowed for, and clearly someone was listening. Hmm. Um, of, uh, I don't know who it was. Uh, it, it's got very Luke Skywalker on, uh, like, 
uh, Octo yeah. um, vibes. So there could he, it could be Luke that he's reaching out to. Um, but it seemed to be quite the beam. And so it could be like, who knows how far out he's reaching. He seemed really connected to the force. Um, it was it was a cool moment. I really liked it. It was cool, but I guess there's not a whole lot we can like dissect about it, right? It was just classic. We don't really know. Uh, it, it is interesting to think though who's going to be coming for him specifically. And I loved his little little fingers and he was meditating. That yeah. Too. Was just like, oh yeah, he hmm. had the body language down. He remembers that from school. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was, it was second nature to him. Uh, Becky was genuinely so emotional when they kidnapped Grogu. Like it was worse. Yeah. And I know, except for that, I'm kind of protected by the certain knowledge that there's just no way they're going to kill Grogu in the show. It's not going to happen. And I think I even predicted recently on this podcast, like, look, they're going to try and hurt your feelings by separating our two heroes at some point pretty soon. And that is what happened. Um, I'm glad it's not the season finale. No, I kind of thought that uh, Din was like a little underwhelming in his response he you like kind of expect him to be like more beside himself but he was just like they need to not hurt the kid can you help me he, he does I don't, he doesn't allow himself sometimes he does when it comes to grogu though like like for example when he first saw grogu take the the, the chrome ball with his hand he was like he got genuinely excited his emotions do yeah. take over sometimes when when it comes to the child yeah it, it was great at the opening scene grogu and just grogu it, it, the the fact that he's just chuckling just because he's able to to get a clear acknowledgement from him. Does he say uh, Dank Farrick there because he's kind of disappointed to to have it confirmed that he has no choice but to take the child to the Jedi? Like, is that, he's he's cursing because he's he realizes he has to give the kid up? Yes, I think so. Uh, it's either that or it's like, hot damn! Like it's 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 either like. My God, you're impressive. Uh, or it's in, indeed uh, a little bit of a frustration, which it, it seems to be more of the case. Uh, it, it is nice, some of the dialogue that he has. Hey, no, I'm not mad at you. You did good. I just, when the nice lady said you had training, I just, <laughs> you're a very special kid. You're very special, kid. We're going to find that place you belong, and they're going to take real good care of you. Yeah, that's a real... But di- you have to agree to go with them if they want you to. Understand. Plus... I can't train you. You're too powerful. Don't you want to learn more of that Jedi stuff? I agreed to take <laughs> you back to your own kind. That's what I'm going to do. You understand, right? Oh, it's he, sad. He's, just, he's just trying to convince himself that it's what he wants to do and that it's the right thing to do. And it's not what he wants. I love when he calls Ahsoka the nice lady. That's such like mm. a, such a dad way of phrasing it. <laughs> Remember the stranger that you liked? Mm. <laughs> that, that, the, you guys were smiling about that Yoda? Yeah. Uh, looks like we're going to have to travel this last stretch with the windows down, which just means take a jetpack ride. And then his little ears are flowing in the wind. And he's screaming like, woo. <laughs> Any more quotes? Uh, that I mean, I already said uh, I give my allegiance to no one. Uh, this, is, uh, this isn't a spice dream. I can see the Imperial Cruiser with my own eyes. Does this look Jedi to you? Uh, looks like that's the magic rock I'm supposed to take you down there. I don't want your armor. I want my armor that you got from Cobb Vanth back on Tatooine. How come he never like tried to get it back from Cobb Vanth? Because he was no match for his own suit? We have no idea. Yeah. Um, I We're going to find out in that Boba spinoff that's so like guaranteed, it feels like these right now. 
I, I'm only okay. I, I'm only okay with it if it's like four episodes, and I almost don't feel like it's needed now because I feel like he's that's gonna how be I in feel. Mando more than I thought he was going to be in Mando. That's how I feel. I, th- I think it's silly to give him his own spinoff. Just do it in yeah. this show. He's going to be a character in the show. Well, and that's the thing. I didn't realize that he was going to be like potentially in friggin' three straight episodes as like one of the main characters in in those episodes. But it's also interesting. Are they going to? Uh, let's let's maybe make this as a transition. We can come back to the quotes in a sec. But are they bringing him back to kill him because John Favreau has wanted Boba Fett to be the main character the entire time, and now he can have a little bit of Boba Fett in the show, and then switch out the Razor Crest and throw in the Slave One for Din. Uh. Um, What's he trying to do there? A little switcheroo on us? He does need a ship uh, I, now. I, I don't think so, but he does need a ship. I mean, Slave One is kind of an old clunker at this point too. Like, I, I, I assume, I presume it's still like in working order and everything, but like, that thing's a, a relic at this point. And I mean, like, it is kind of shocking when yeah. when the Razor Crest gets blown up, just because like that doesn't happen that often in Star Wars with the good guy ship, and it has been the ship since the beginning. On the other hand, they've been telegraphing it all season because that thing is like a bucket of bolts barely hanging together. He needed a new ship anyway. Um, I don't think they have been, and I I I, I, I was I loved that they blew it up. Me too. Um, I, and I, I think it was a good surprise. The one thing that made me feel like I thought it could come this season, and I think I even maybe predicted it, although I wasn't that serious, um, was that during the making of season two, they had issues. They had trademark issues with Razor Crest. Oh, what yeah. else is a Razor so Crest? Made... Sorry? What else is a Razor Crest? Oh, I don't remember. And I don't know. There's a chance that it may not have been anything and that they just didn't protect their asses fully and that some people bought, like, some some people, um, what are they called? Uh, legally. Oh, yeah. Rip, you, yeah. You know yeah. Like I, um, IP pirates who just, like, go out and buy exactly trademarks. Yeah. 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 Trademark pirates. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think that was necessarily it. And either, either way, um, like, the Legos Razor Crest went from being... Razorcrest to Mandalorian transport back to Razorcrest. Oh, interesting. And so it's, uh, I, I think they got it sorted out, but maybe Favreau heard that and was like, I'm not attached to it. And we have such a budget now after we built the volume and then got to carry that budget over every season. Let's just build a new ship. By the way, uh, speaking of the volume, you're the one who pointed out to me that they used the volume less in this episode, if at all. It seemed to, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, it, it was noticeable. And by the way, very refreshing. Like, uh, it's funny that you that you mentioned, uh, you referenced The Princess Bride in your recap because I kind of got Battle of Wits vibes from the terrain in this particular, because it's like very bright and grassy and rural. Um, it was kind of nice Rocky. to be in like a in like a real... I mean, for the lack of a better phrase, down to earth kind of setting. It was a little, the the only thing I had a problem with was that it was such desert California. Yeah. And the only reason why I have a problem with that is because it was very fan filmy in a couple shots. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I've seen fan Whereas films that look like that. it's like, okay, where are fan films going to be made? Okay, California. Where are they going to go? Oh, they're going to go to the desert in California because they're not going to go to Tunisia. And the closest thing they're going to find is going to be desert with, like, grass every, like, patched in, like, weird spots. Yep. And uh, there's a helicopter in the shot, in one of the shots. Oh, no way. 
there's a, like a, a distant helicopter behind Boba Fett in one of the shots. It'll get wiped out the same way that the the guy with the um, jeans guy got wiped out with too. The jeans guy got wiped out. Yeah, but it, it it's not surprising. No. It, but at the same time, I'd say there's and there's also a couple lens flares that are bad. Mm. Like, like like I thought like wait a minute did the TV just break for a second? Um, and but they quickly obviously corrected. Other than that, though, literally my only take backs in the episode. Uh, and for the most part, I liked the refreshing way it was shot um, and that Tython has been represented as mountainous always. But now um, we have a whole other season sect for it as well. So Tython now canonically uh, is a seasonal biome as opposed to um, just a single planet biome. I'll tell you something that was definitely digitally enhanced in this setting is... The butterflies on the seeing stone. What was that about? Do those mean something? Because they, I yes. know, I noticed them in the first viewing. In the second viewing, I was like, those friggin' things are everywhere. Yes. Yeah, so they're a sign of the light side of the force. They're a sign oh. of force concentration. Uh, in particular, Ben Solo has had a, a strong connection to um, blue butterflies wow. in um, Star Wars properties. So could this have been an allusion to specifically Ben Solo? Well, interestingly enough, there are a few allusions and people caught on to this this week and I still, I didn't catch on to it and I only have, I'm piecing the, I'm, I'm putting this together um, because apparently people only just, they just see the first thing and then like, <gasps> and they don't actually think things further. But yeah, Baby Yoda's theme or Grogu's theme is actually very similar to Kylo Ren's theme. Wow, which is similar to the First Order theme, and so they share some like a lot of similarities. And I didn't know that, but people pointed out this week because people apparently it was more noticeable than ever, and so it was it got its its due for the first time because more people made put two and two together, uh, and so it's it, it is interesting to see if that means that there is some form of connection through snoke and what is going to be turning them like I, grogu's not a knight of ren but i am sure there is some like line that is connecting these dots here i mean that is one of the few first order things we've seen they drop the other hint on the siege they drop the other hint with those uh landing transports and so we're starting to see these glimmers of first order uh, and they always kind of they, they have to do with apprehending grogu for science experiments. Yeah, that's, I mean that's always what they have to do with for some reason. But I mean they they also took Ben Solo. So like the the parallels could just be as simple as the fact that they're both being utilized by the bad guys because they're so powerful. Very 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 true. Absolutely. Yeah. And also the fact that Grogu and Anakin were born the same year, so there's connection there and what's oh, that yeah. connection that we don't know. They were born the same year. Have I have you mentioned that to me before? I don't know if that's so clear. Interesting. Yeah, I think I probably have. Okay, good to know. Uh, anything else you want to say about this episode? I mean, there probably is more to say. It was, it. I, I mean, I know I just like went on and on about how great last week's was, and it was, but for kind of a bunch of different reasons, this one was just as good. It, it was so rich. I can't believe it's only a half an hour long. I know, it, it crams so much into the episode in a really great way, though. Another interesting weapon thing that I've only seen mentioned, I saw mentioned by one person uh, and it was because uh, during their podcast, they were they said that they were building the Razor Crest, uh, and so they said, "So I'm building the Razor Crest right here, and it's in like all of its pieces. So I don't know if I should even assemble it." 
at this point. Uh, it, yeah. It's it's kind of in its accurate form now. <laughs> um, but as he's putting it together, he makes like the clean like nobody has else has said this. He lost his pulse rifle too. Yeah, I know. I did know. I I heard somebody else mention that. Yeah. Yeah, that's like that sucks. He's just he just has his Beskar staff and then Grogu's little ball. It's kind of um, crazy that he finds that little ball of all things. But I mean, whatever. It, it is, but it's also the, I think they show at the start that he's trying to figure out where things are, and the Beskar spear seems to be the lucky find, whereas he seems to be looking for the ball. Yes, that's that, true. That's like he he's he's aiming like where's the cockpit? Where's the ball? I need to find. I need to find his toy. That's the most important thing to me. Well, that and it also tells the audience, don't worry, they're going to get back together. That's why he saves it. Yes, of, of course. Um, what I, else is there? I don't know. I don't really have anything else to say. We we covered a lot of it. Uh, you're not ready to play with such things, liable to put an eye out with one of these. Oh, you've gotten very good with that, but it makes you oh so sleepy, says Gideon to... To Baby Yoda with uh, with the using of the Force, he's such a menace. I love that dude. He's a bastard. He's yeah. awful. Yeah, he's so great though. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, I'm I'm interested. Um, I really have been thinking about his suit. I don't think it's just because he's a Vader fanboy. It can't be. Okay. Um, he, maybe he was a pilot. Yeah, that's possible. Because it seems to be more reminiscent of like a Tie pilot uniform. And he does fly uh, his TIE fighter in the season finale of season one. And so I'm cu- I'm just kind of like curious about his background specifically. Like maybe he was one of Vader's like, like maybe he worked with Vader on his TIE advanced or something. I'm, I'm just, I'm curious to know about like why specifically him and why does he look the way he, he looks like no other moths. No moth dresses like that. Isn't it funny that uh, every time they introduce a, a new big bad in Star Wars, our instinct is always to figure out what their origin is because to us, it seems like, how did you get to be here? Where were you before? And so like, mm. obviously the, the, that particular curiosity, the tone is set by the existence of the prequel trilogy. And so like, you're so intrigued by the mystery surrounding this amazing movie villain called Darth Vader that they have to write three new movies just to explain to you how he got to be this way. And you're not going to do that with every great Star Wars villain, although they did do it with Palpatine in those same three movies, kind of, although they left out a lot of the a lot of the highlights, as it turns out. Um, but oh, and they did the after effect with Maul in the Clone Wars. They didn't the, absolutely. do the origin story, but The Phantom Menace kind of was. But like, I totally want to see more about how Tarkin got to be Tarkin or how Gideon got to be Gideon or, or, or frankly, like, did we see all we are ever going to see from um, Ben Mendelsohn's character there in, in Rogue One. Like that, that was such an interesting bad guy. Bring him back for Cassian. Yes, exactly. No reason to not do that and um, improve your Tarkin as well. Um, they, those, those two should be two of the main baddies um, and then another baddie as well. Um, right. For, for that series. I'm not sure who else you would do because you can't just have the same people no. going at each other. No, but. that's true. I think, uh, I think, uh, what's his name, was talking a little bit about the Cassian show this week. He was on some talk show. Yeah, Diego Luna did. It, it really, like, there's not much to say, and I, I'll skip, I'll, I'll say that news section, because literally all it is is it's underway in England currently. That's the news. 
Right. And and by and by the way, for what it's worth, so is Obi Wan. This like this discussion that it's ha- being filmed in Boston needs to be clarified that Boston is in England. And I didn't know there was a Boston England before either. But everybody was like having a lot of fun with the news that the Obi Wan mm. show is like in production in Boston, which I I found jarring too because I was like, how are they going to film it in a city? I don't know what Boston England looks like, but that's where they're doing it. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, actually. This is, uh, we may as well just kind of shift as we're in the news section already. Uh, sure. This is on the most recent episode, but is not necessarily directly part of the episode, more just uh, Robert Rodriguez talking about his work. Uh, I'm friends with John Favreau, and he needed a last minute replacement for a director. Hmm. And so I said, sure, I'll come play in the Star Wars universe. What a dream. And it's fulfilled uh, all my life. Uh, it's been beyond my expectations. I mean, it was so fun. You can't imagine what it's like to walk on set and that classic look of the Empire Strikes Back. Uh, and the feel it's right after that era right after return of the jedi uh, as you feel like you just walked into your childhood all of a sudden you go up and touch things and go that's the thing that han solo talked into when he shot the machine and told the stormtroopers not to come up i was like wow i thought i recognized that it's just a really strange exhilarating experience to be in your childhood sets for real and getting to make action it's really cool. The visual language is so embedded in our heads. So I have uh, one of those selfies. Look, it's me next to a control panel. It's so cool and fun. So, so that makes me so happy. Really I'm real. I'm really happy to hear that because I don't know a lot about Robert Rodriguez. His style of filmmaking has never really been my cup of tea. Um, but I know he's respected in his community. And our uh, philosophy on this podcast is always just that if you're a fan of Star Wars, you should get to play. And mm. and clearly, I mean, just th- that that comment proves that he is one. But like not only did he get to play he uh, he's a fan of empire strikes back specifically he got to be the guy who made boba fett cool again like that's yeah. that's not a small thing and he did it no like so so masterfully uh just really really very impressive i i, I feel like i had something else to say about about rob oh I, I just wanted to make a joke about how it's a shame we didn't uh, have a cameo from danny trejo in this at any point but maybe, oh, maybe God, someday. that would have been bad <laughs> it would have been it would have been hard it would have been hard to take but I, I would be lying if I said it didn't occur to me as a possibility. The thing is, yeah, he'd have to be playing Machete because he always plays Machete. In everything, yeah. yeah. Um, or, uh, or or Razor. Right. Or he, he's, he, the next is going to be the Machete crest, and it's just going to look like Machete. Uh, I think he's like an, uh, a friend of Boba's from over the years. Please, please no. No. <laughs> So he's probably not uh, going to do more Star Wars directing by the sounds of things. It was just kind of like a, a last minute decision. It was decision. a thing, but yeah. he was great. He was. I, I don't I don't see a reason why you why you can't under those circumstances. And so if you're doing a Boba show, um, if the writing is good in the next episode, give it to like Rick Famuyiwa to to write and direct an episode or two and get um, Robert Rodriguez to direct the other couple ones. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, you it's, give it to the people who've had some experience playing in said sandbox and give them more opportunities to uh, succeed when they do well on something like Mando. And this was certainly one of the better direct episodes, in my opinion. So, yeah, that yeah. was great. Yeah, it was violent. I mean, I mean that's it appropriate. Was very violent, but needed. Yep. Actually, the only other thing in the news is just really a rumor. Uh, and it's a fun rumor. We do, We still don't have confirmation that... Uh, John Favreau is doing the the season finale. We don't know who's doing oh. the season finale. But don't we know that John Favreau is directing two episodes in the season? No, we don't know for sure. Oh, okay. But be cool if it was George Lucas. <laughs> but did you see the George Lucas news today? 
the thing that was yeah. going around. So I don't, I didn't read a lot of articles, but basically it's definitely something that could have been like a truncated quote or taken out of context. But basically he's kind of indicated that he was disappointed to learn post acquisition that he wasn't given any say that he kind of mm. thought after they signed things off, he would still get to be involved a bit. And your instinct is kind of to be like, well, I don't know, get a clue, dude. Like that's obviously that was not going to be how it works. But I also think that maybe he can't possibly be as naive as that quote kind of suggests he is. Yeah, that's, um, I've definitely heard him talk about it before. And how it was, how it worked was they asked him to stay on and to run creative and that Kathleen Kennedy would do all the producerial work and that um, they would, um, and then they, per and and I don't think that really worked, but then he said, well, I've been still working on my scripts for the sequel trilogy. And they said, okay, well, we want those. Uh, and so we want to buy those and we'll, we'll work with you and the creative. And they just, they didn't take them. They, they, they he threw was, them out. yeah, they, they purchased his scripts for the sequel trilogy when they were purchasing the rest of Star Wars and they asked him for his involvement. They asked him to handpick who would be the producer at it. Like, and then they didn't want to use his scripts. And, and then they, like, they asked who do, like, they asked like, like JJ was his choice as well. Like, so like he was involved in all these things and then he wasn't. And then they just decided, okay, the thing that you're really good at, the thing that the, the, the one thing that nobody could ever take away that you, like, you're really good at storytelling. We're not going to use your stories either. Right. Um, like you, you've given away the produce, producing and directing. Uh, so you, it's like you don't, the only thing you need to focus on is is the story, but we're not actually going to use your story. They really just so, wanted him to be uh, an answers guy. They wanted him to be able to like clarify canonical stuff, which is what Filoni does now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they also wanted him to sell it to them. Yes. And that was the way to make it seem like you'll still be able to be involved. Don't worry. You don't have to worry about like, I mean, you'll still be able to see your kid in the weekends. It would be quite a boon if he directed the series finale or the season finale of this show. That would be, a, that would be very lovely. People would be so damn happy. I it'd would be. be. Just, yeah. Be, oh, I would be too. Yeah. Unless it'd be hilarious. It's just like, oh my God, that was so terrible. And it's like, George <laughs> Lucas. No. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't no. think so either. But. No. No, I'm not worried about that. What else? Anything else in the news? No, that's it. Oh, okay. Good. A tight little episode. Then all I wanted to say is a happy birthday to Dominic Monaghan, who uh, is having a birthday on Tuesday, December 8th. This time last year, uh, Ross just put his, his Boba Fett helmet back on. Looking good, man. Man, that is money well spent. I love it. Dominic Monaghan's birthday is, is tomorrow. This time last year... Um, we weren't really sure to what extent he was going to be involved in, in the rise of Skywalker, although we probably had a pretty good idea that he was going to be minimal. Cause I think we knew that he was like a resistance, um, uh, bureaucrat, um, likable guy, likable in everything, but he had like such little work to do in, in that movie. You've discussed a little bit about how you'd like for him to be involved in a spinoff with, is it Dr. Afra? Is that her name? Dr. Uh well, actually, I, I have mentioned that, I think maybe on one instance, uh, Dr. Afra is like the Indiana Jones right. of the Star Wars galaxy, and he seemed to be uh, like, a, like, a, like a researcher, so that, that would work really well, yeah. Uh, but anyway, just thinking about Dominic Monaghan got me thinking about all the awesome people in Lost that could be in Star Wars. Like, with almost no exceptions, pretty much everybody who was like a regular in Lost 
could be awesome in Star Wars. And I know you loved Lost and you've suggested a few of them as like uh, as possibilities uh, before, but somebody we've never discussed as a great contender for Star Wars casting is Michael Emerson, who played Ben Linus. And I don't know where that dude is now, but as soon as I realized that, I was like, I need to see that guy in Star Wars. Where's it, where's it, when's it going to happen? Who's going to make it happen? Oh, yeah. One of the absolute best characters in television history. Unbelievable. Uh, one of my absolute favorites. Uh, phenomenal actor. I was a big fan of Person of Interest as well. Yeah. Uh, which he was in with Jim Caviezel. And um, yeah, he he's phenomenal. And he was a, he was a, a good guy in that. Just a, a mild-mannered genius um, and, and billionaire. Um, and so he, he could certainly uh, hit range as well. My, and, my yeah. instinct is to make him like like an institutionalized bad guy, like a Tarkin type, but maybe that's too easy for Michael Emerson. Like maybe I would like to see him as like a, an old man with little glasses as a good guy or something. That would be, it'd be interesting. Yeah. You, 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 you have to go with him. Um, like he could play like a role like Dr. Pershing. Um, yep. certainly well. Um, I, I could he play a I younger, don't... a younger Laura Santeca? No, no, I don't think so. I don't think that would really fit either. Um, I don't know. You know maybe, me, I'm always um, trying to find it more I, Laura I could, I could see him maybe being um, like a Sith minion. Okay. Like like almost like an Igor, sort yeah. of. All right. Um, someone who's working for like a very, very powerful Sith as like like someone who's experimenting with like alchemy and is... Well, that, uh, that like kind a, of is what like, Dr. Pershing is. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Just, but for someone m more powerful than Moff Gideon. Right. Okay. I like it. Yeah. Maybe Old Republic era. Anyway, this was kind of a return to Gotta Cast One, except only yeah. with one person. It's got to be Michael Emerson. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. Absolutely. Hey, uh, we want to hear all your thoughts on uh, this extraordinary episode uh, of The Mandalorian. One last question. Why is it called The Tragedy? What was The Tragedy? Uh, baby you know, Grogu getting taken. Uh, although you could say it's the Razor Crest, but I would say it's Grogu getting taken. Oh, that didn't feel right to me. It usually feels like it's going to allude to something more uh, thematic and symbolic. Or it is uh, really the big picture, and it's referring to Darth Plagueis the Wise and the tragedy uh, of Darth Plagueis the Wise. Uh, <laughs> and that in particular, it was uh, Din needed to know information, but there was no story that the Jedi told him about Tython. Uh, and so that was the reason as to why, uh, had he known the stories from the Jedi, he would have had more information about the Seeing Stone, uh, and then he would not have had Grogu get lost. You're so, so right. all because Din was not well read. On yes, the I I should have read between the lines better. You're absolutely right. That's why it's called the tragedy. Send us your thoughts on uh, chapter 14 of the Mandalorian uh, at recorder six, six on Twitter at recorder or recorder 66 podcast at gmail.com rate and review on your preferred podcast app. And until we are back for the penultimate episode of the Mandalorian season two, may the force be with you.